Good day, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining on today's webinar, Looking Beyond the Bear Market uh, for Crypto and Blockchain. My name is Sebastian Quichio. I'm general partner at Interop. We are an early stage uh, crypto fund investing in modular interoperable blockchain infrastructure and applications. I'm also the host of a podcast called Epicenter, which some of you may be familiar with, and uh, The Interop, uh, which is a technical podcast focusing on the interchain and Cosmos ecosystem. I'm very pleased today to be um, having this webinar to uh, dissect uh, you know, the current state of the crypto market and looking beyond the bear market uh, and really coming back down to uh, to fund, come back to, to fundamentals uh, and understanding why we're here, uh, why the events of 2022, um, you know, the, the impacts of the events of 2022 uh, on the broader ecosystem and what we can hope to see uh, in the coming cycle. Um, I'm joined by uh, Clément Simon, who uh, will just introduce himself briefly. Yeah, hi everyone. So, yeah, my name is Clement Simon. I'm also a GP at Interop Ventures. I'm like head of finance and operations and like currently uh, leading the fundraising. Thanks, Simon. And uh, also joined by a panel of experts uh, that uh, you know, we'll be chatting today about um, all the topics I discussed earlier. Um, perhaps uh, before we go into introductions, I just want to like contextualize you know, sort of where we're at in the, the moment um, that we're in right now. So many have dubbed 2022 as crypto's.com boom moment. And you know, if we look at back some of the events, uh, you know, in May of 2022, Terra Luna, uh, which was an experimental stablecoin project with a market cap of over $18 billion at its peak collapsed in a pretty spectacular crash. And it brought down with it millions of dollars uh, or billions of dollars in uh, market cap and also millions of retail investors who trusted its stability. In July, Three Arrows Capital, one of the largest crypto hedge funds, filed for bankruptcy after it failing to meet its margin calls, losing over $3 billion. It created domino effects that were felt throughout the industry and specifically centralized lending players who could not call back their loans. Um, and perhaps in a final blow this year, in November, the second largest crypto exchange, FTX, became insolvent uh, while the world discovered that the firm uh, was allegedly and now pretty confidently um, engaged in fraud. But despite these setbacks, uh, 2022 has been a spectacular year in terms of user growth, developer adoption, and investments. Uh, firstly, I think one of the biggest milestones of this year was that Ethereum successfully performed, performed the merge, which was a significant milestone, allowed it to scale while significantly reducing its energy footprint. This is a project that had been ongoing for several years. Uh, beyond that, global adoption of crypto has grown well beyond uh, pre-pandemic levels, and specifically in middle to low-income countries like El Salvador, Argentina, Vietnam, Colombia, um, and who, who, that began uh, adopting crypto in significantly large numbers, and also developers in those regions are now building applications and conferences are now going, builder conferences are now going to those places and attracting local developers. Uh, there's also been significant progress on the regulatory front in Europe. Uh, while ongoing adoption of Mika and TFR is underway. And in terms of investments, you know, in the first half of 2022, over $30 billion was invested in, in crypto companies and protocols, and over $36 billion raised 
by funds investing in the industry. These are numbers produced by Masari. So while we enter the 14th year since the invention of Bitcoin, you know, we hope to look at today at what are the long-term prospects and opportunities in this space. And you know, looking at so-called crypto winters, you know, how is this one going to fare differently? So with that context, I'd like to introduce our panelists to the stage uh, for brief introductions before we get into, uh, into the meat of the subjects today. So if you guys could turn your cameras on and um, enable your microphones, and we'll start doing a round, uh, round table here, getting everyone to introduce themselves. Sure. I... Let's start with Nikolai, yeah. Yeah, I'm it's trying to. Uh, uh, yes, we can start, start your video because this. the host has stopped it. Oh, okay. Let me do that now. Um, uh, okay. How do I? Not used to doing this on Zoom. I usually use, you know creator tools like StreamYard and uh, Zoom is... Uh, okay, I, now, right, now I'm the host. I think we have to be host. Okay, nice to meet yeah. you, everybody. Thanks a lot. Um, Sebastian, I can start maybe with uh, uh, a few seconds introduction. I'm a, uh, Nicola, sure. um, principal at Lemnus Cup. We're a crypto native investment firm, um, solely focused in, uh, in crypto assets and, and blockchain. We focus on the early stage. So seed and pre-seed is uh, our bread and butter. It's where you would see us deploying uh, most of the uh, most of the cases. And uh, yeah, glad to be here, excited to, to, to share my two cents on this bear market. Cool, um, I'll go next. So great to meet you, everyone. My name is Jay and I'm a co-founder of First Day Labs. Um, my background before this, so I was an engineer at Robinhood for almost four years. Um, after spending time over there, initially started to build a decentralized Robinhood, saw that there was actually a very big opportunity to build the infrastructure layer instead. Um, and that's what we're working on right now. So say it's layer one that's optimized for exchanges. Um, and if we succeed, then the decentralized exchange experience will be identical to that of the centralized exchange experience. Cool. I'll pass it over to uh, Reda. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I'm Reda, the founder of the Key Foundation. Uh, we're a blockchain-powered venture studio uh, that uh, actually relies on three pillars. The first is the community. We launched Club, which is an investment club uh, with uh, today 500 members with a global network of 5 billion euros. They've invested with us uh, around four, $4 million in the last 18 months. Um, and we're also launching a venture studio uh, in which... Uh, Web2 companies uh, launch projects uh, in the Web3 using our infrastructure, which is the key chain, uh, a Cosmos SDK-based chain. Hi, everyone. Thank you for the invitation, uh, Sebastian. I'm Fusin Freire. I'm president uh, of ADAN, the association that is uh, federating, representing, and raising the voice of the crypto industry in France and in Europe. So today, more than 200 companies that are members of the association. Thanks, everyone. Uh, happy to be here with you all and uh, really excited about this conversation. So, you know, it, I, I, I started uh, the the webinar here is sort of describing the context uh, for for this year. And I know that lots of you have been in the space for, you know, a, you know several years now. Um, 
looking at like this particular bear market, you know, like these are very tumultuous times, like narratives are shifting, regulatory pressure is shifting, investment theses are shifting. Uh, also, infrastructure is evolving and changing. Uh, you know, looking beyond all that, I think I'd like to start by asking you all why you still, why you think, and this is maybe a little bit of a facetious question, why you think crypto is still a relevant game-changing technology long-term? Well, I can start. I was the first one introducing myself. Well, first of all, you 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 named and you you mentioned uh, a few um, uh, enormous differences between what the the environment was in 2017 and what's today in terms of capital, in terms of attention, and in terms of uh, what's ready to be deployed. Right. So this is first of all uh, a major uh, a major difference. I think. Um, I want to step back uh, for for really a second, and everybody, as I'm sure, in the panel and also uh, people that are listening, we made a sort of decision, right? A, a strong um, vision for our career, in a sense, right? As investors and as practitioner in the space to join the space, I would say somebody ten, six, seven, whatever years ago, right? And we made this choice with um, a strong um, conviction in the space. And I believe that uh, bull after bear, after bull after bell, basically um, none of those fundamentals that we joined the space for has changed. They only improved, right? And this is why uh, I think this conviction that we had uh, is still present. The use cases have been improving. Um, and I would say only the uh, human nature of, of, of the speculation around new technology um, as, 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 you know, shown major setbacks for the industry. So that's why I believe we see uh, still strong conviction from investors, still uh, enormous amount of capital deployed um, and sitting on the sideline to be deployed in the, in the ecosystem. But cycle after cycle we still see um major setbacks that's i think it's a lesson that we have to they have to learn from yeah i i i'd like to uh double down on this and it's quite hard for me to say that we still believe it's actually i i believe even stronger uh, my, my belief is stronger than even before because the crisis that we see is not a crisis of crypto or blockchains, the crisis of speculation. Uh, we, we were in the mother of all the bubbles uh, until November 2021. A lot of liquidity, a lot of people putting a lot of money in like anything that can be traded. And uh, yeah, uh, I think that what happened is, the, is a crisis of trust of centralized actors, bad actors that gambled and we're hoping that everything will continue to go up. Uh, but at the end of the day, the fundamentals of uh, crypto, blockchain, and DeFi uh, are actually what protect us from this kind of crisis. And it's actually quite interesting to see that from what happened, uh, if, you can, if you look at what happened with FTX, it actually exploded 
in less than two weeks. Why? Thanks to blockchain. Uh, individual and independent actors were able to audit, analyze movement on chain to say, hey, this smells actually really bad. And actually, a lot of people I know were saved because there was transparency. And what we are seeing is a cleansing. And I think we, it's, it, this is a bull case for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the sentiment of both folks. Um, and I mean, yeah, from, from my side, like the reason that we that I originally got into crypto and that I originally started building the decentralized Robinhood is because I was there when everything with Robinhood happened last year. And it was just, you felt so bad when you were an insider working at a place like Robinhood when management was just not saying anything about what was happening internally. And I, I think that after going through an experience like that, like anyone who's been an insider, they just start to value things that are trustless and transparent a lot more. Um, and that, that was the original inspiration for us to start building that decentralized Robinhood. And I think that um, everything that has happened this year, like all this uh, centralized kind of blowups that have happened, they really just reinforced that thesis that we originally had, that things that are trustless, things that are transparent, they're inherently going to be more valuable for users. Um, and I think in the long term, like that's just not going to be changing. Like in the long term, people are going to be more and more bullish on things that are inherently trustless. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's why I definitely think that even though there's been a lot of noise in the industry, the fundamentals have not changed at all. And that's what I'm going to keep building towards. Yeah, I think, uh, I, oh, sorry, go, go, go ahead, Justine. No, no, I, I just, just wanted to agree with what I had been saying and just to, uh, to push on that direction. First, uh, I think we can still be really positive and optimistic because of the growing mass adoption uh, of crypto assets by um, users. So 8% of the French people has crypto assets uh, now. You have 10% of uh, European uh, uh, citizens. Uh, you have uh, around 50% uh, of, uh, of US citizens. And uh, the reasons why they, they want to adopt a crypto asset is also evolving based on a better uh, understanding of the technological opportunities behind crypto assets. And that's very important to uh, to note that. So it's not only uh, to um, to make profits, but also because the uh, people understand the, the value behind the self-custody, uh, the possibility to go in a decentralized world that was not... Uh, um, allow uh, to them before uh, and also the the and that's something that they can also see in the current news at the, the the possible failures of intermediaries that they can uh, uh, overcome uh, in this uh, new world so uh, the mass adoption based on this better understanding is a, a really optimistic uh, uh, way to see uh, how a crypto is uh, beginning uh, to be more and more democratized and uh, uh, regarding the companies what uh, we can see at this association is that uh, despite the difficulties that they can have in France and in Europe to develop uh, and difficulties that can be uh, really long to solve if, if I take, for example, the bankarization of the companies, despite those uh, deadlocks, companies are still building uh, very interesting and more and more diverse use cases and still creating uh, uh, jobs uh, and the wealth uh, in uh, uh, in France, uh, Europe, in, in the world, and uh, they, that, that's a very uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that's something that we can uh, observe at the associations. If we have a look, we started with eleven members uh, three years ago, and now we are more than two hundred. So it's a very beautiful dynamics. 
Yeah. So I, if, if I, uh, if, if I'm hearing you all correctly, um, what I'm hearing is that the fundamentals have not really changed. And I think this has been the prevailing narrative, at least in the space. Um, you know, I, I was watching the congressional hearings uh, where uh, uh, John Ray was, was speaking uh, to, uh, to the U S Congress and uh, you know, towards the end of, of that, whatever, four hour, um, you know, uh, I don't, I, I don't even know how to how to qualify that whole thing. But there, there was one representative. Uh, his name is uh, Jake. I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Auschwitz. Uh, uh, um The Americans will will correct me on this. But and and, and basically, his message was, you know, crypto has been around for eight years and it has not produced any value. Uh, compared to say things like artificial intelligence um, and you know other other technologies, other emerging technologies, uh, and that you know crypto needs to put up or shut up, and and I thought, wow, what a, what a disconnect between you know policymakers that are um, observing this technology and like a sort of political class, um, and I think more broadly like a media and political class that um that that see things happening in crypto but don't necessarily see all of the innovation happening uh on what i would call say the builder side right there's there is tremendous amount of innovation happening on the technological layer and you know there really are i think you know several um like different different ecosystems within the crypto ecosystem that i think a lot of people don't really uh can't really fully capture so where where do you think this comes from and what are the biggest misconceptions you think people still have? And you know, maybe for Sina, I think you'd be particularly well placed to answer this question. What are the biggest misconceptions people still have when looking at the ecosystem and, and looking at the technologies and, and really understanding where the innovations are, where the sort of frivolous, you know, not really very valuable things are and, and what are scams, et cetera, yeah. So first, uh, I would say that uh, the uh, institutionals don't really know about the real economy behind crypto assets. So usually they know about Bitcoin, they sometimes know about cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, and that's uh, that's the step after. Uh, but uh, usually they don't realize that the, there are companies and the real economy behind that are creating jobs and the wealth for the for the state, and that will. Uh, actually guarantee our digital sovereignty tomorrow. So that's the first thing that we have to make them uh, realize uh, is uh, the economic opportunity behind the development of a new sector and behind the, uh, the, the possibility for this innovation to be uh, available in also the existing uh, economic uh, segments uh, and uh, actually all the the industries that can benefit from this uh, this uh, revolution. So I think that's the first thing to make them understand because the the institutional speech is more focused uh, uh, on risk than on opportunities, uh, and that's also really frustrating to see that actually the speech does not uh, sometimes really evolve uh, years after year, and that we still have. Uh, uh, the same preconceived ideas uh, around crypto assets that are circulating despite uh, evidences and research that can prove the contrary. So the those preconceived ideas are, are always uh, regarding the environmental footprint, the uh, risks in terms of uh, financial criminality, 
uh, and also uh, lots of questions uh, regarding the um, relevance and the utility of uh, crypto assets. Uh, so sometimes we understand that there is a need for education because those are really uh, um, uh, those are questions that must be solved. But sometimes we also feel that there is a, a the, the the ambition for a misinformation about crypto assets in order to prevent from that development for for several reasons. Uh, so actually, it, it can be quite frustrating. Uh, when those pitch does not uh, change uh, years after years uh, and there are some good and bad reasons why it does not evolve so we still have lots of education to do uh, uh, and I think our focus must be on opportunities uh, regarding the use cases and the companies that uh, we create with this uh, with this innovation. Hmm. Reda you, uh, you you run a company that uh, is building a, a a user-facing product and applications that leverages crypto. Uh, does this resonate with you? This this uh, this disconnect between you know, real uh, real usage and uh, and the you know the seeming misunderstanding of the real value in in crypto. Yeah, I think I think there are many arguments uh, that can explain the reason why there is such a disconnect between regulators, uh, politics, and uh, uh, the usage of the whole technology. I think let's start by, by what we're, we've been doing. Actually, I uh, got to one like main axiom was like, we need to get as many licenses to operate uh, as if crypto was regulated like securities. That was the first thing. So we, we went to get all of the licenses. Uh, we are an agent of investment service provider uh, we we are um, uh, we got our DASP uh, uh, registration in France so that we we would be able to operate uh, peacefully. Now to get back to to the reasons, first it's technology. Um, regulators um, actually it's hard for them to grasp uh, the concepts of what blockchain is actually disrupting so basically the regulators are here to protect uh, the 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 customer and to regulate so basically when they started looking at how they would regulate crypto they took the framework of the old uh, space but basically when you build a decentralized exchange there is no reason to regulate the, the counterpart risk or custody part because the blockchain should protect the whole counterpart aspect. There is risk on the technology aspect, security risk. Uh, so everything that is uh, related to hacking and everything, but it's not the same kind of regulation the same kind of protection. Um, so this is for the regulator part. So now the goal of uh, an organization like Adan that uh, Faustin presides is to explain what blockchain provides in terms of value, what kind of uh, middleman disintermediation blockchain technology offers, and how regulation can actually uh, evolve in this new environment. Yet, the regulator needs to regulate the centralized actors. And I don't understand why an actor such as Celsius or Nexo uh, would escape the traditional kind of regulation that investment service provider need to have minimum capital 
uh, quarterly audits by a tier A, uh, tier one firm. Uh, these are the kind of things that, because you're actually handling people's money. When you handle people's money, you need to be regulated the same way. And, and if they trust you, you need to be trustable. So this is for the regulator. And on the other end, you have politics. Obviously, politics is all about communication and marketing because they need to be elected for the next round. So they will surf on whatever narrative is good for them uh, in, in, in the future. And I think that we have like three kinds of politics. You have the ones that don't know a thing, don't understand, and don't want to understand. So they will just surf on the current narrative that is that brings the most clicks and views and, uh, and bravos. You have the second ones that actually don't understand, but actually are looking to understand. And you have the ones that understand and see the threat of what blockchain and crypto brings into the societal uh, uh, environment. So basically, crypto, blockchain, decentralization brings freedom. And when society has a taste of freedom, it's hard to take it away. So the one that understands and act in a way as if they don't understand, these are the most dangerous ones because they actually get it. And they know what the society, what they don't want the society to get a taste of. And I think this is our job to bring the awareness to society on the reason why crypto is important, blockchain is important, not on the speculation aspect. And this is what actually um, brings us so much issue because we all, media only talk about crypto when it's about Bitcoin aiming for $100,000. But this is not the real value. This is not the real gain. The real gain is freedom. Hmm. Uh, yeah, thank, thanks for uh, thanks for that. And I, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I I think that crypto is inherently political, and uh, we we I mean we need to remember that, but we also need to remember that anything that's political will also attract uh, you know the attention of people that uh, want to sort of uh, deny deny the the, the freedoms that that that, that the crypto provides. Um, Jay, I wonder as you know as someone who's building a you know a, a platform for uh, businesses to build, um, how, how does this, uh, how does this resonate with you in terms of like looking for customers and looking for people to come and build on the platform and what sorts of, you know, fundamentals, uh, need to be sort of put front and center, uh, for, for those folks who are building on the platform. Yeah. I mean, the people that are building on say tend to be more crypto native developers. So they already kind of get it like they're not over here to like they understand the more fundamental benefits of building any kind of um, blockchain based application i think that one thing that i have noticed more recently which has been interesting is the types of people that we've been chatting with they've become a lot more mission driven rather than being kind of profit driven and when we originally got started with say um it was in the middle of the bull market and the kind of people that wanted to build on say there were a lot of opportunities for them to build on other ecosystems as well that are offering them large grants, that are offering them the ability to like launch and like make a quick buck. And now it seems like people are much more um, objectively considering like what is the best infrastructure for them to build on. So that has been kind of an interesting transition that I've started um, seeing recently. Um, the other thing, I mean, just in terms of like misconceptions overall, like I'm based in San Francisco um, and even in San Francisco, a lot of people don't really understand the benefits of crypto. 
And one thing that's interesting is in the kind of media, there's all these portrayals of all these scams that happen with like NFTs, for example. Um, there's also everything that's happened with decentralized blowups. And people tend to take that and like paint the entire crypto industry in that light. And oftentimes I end up having conversations with them about more of the nuances between, for example, why FTX going down isn't reflective of like the inherent, is, it doesn't really mean anything about the inherent um, benefits that like any kind of cryptocurrency offers. Um, so I think that educational piece is one thing that still needs to happen. And I mean, even in the Bay Area where there's a lot of very technical people, it seems like that still hasn't necessarily um, kind of had widespread adoption yet. That, that's interesting. Um, and Nicola, you know, as as a as a as an investor, um, when um, when chatting with with investors specifically uh, with LPs, uh, sure. what 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 does that look like in terms of a conversation, and what kinds of misconceptions are you still having to uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, this is this is very. I mean, there were great inputs uh, from the panel, and this is interesting because it's a conversation that you have to have um, from a perspective of a money manager and with fiduciary duty, right? Um, I think I was tremendously lucky to to come to crypto from a an industry where I was extremely. Uh, you know, familiar with volatility, I used to trade derivatives. And I I really realized that um, the misconception is, I think, primarily derived by, as uh, Faustin mentioned, the risk, um, uh, the risk logics and dynamics and, and how the, 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 the invest, the institutional investor look at risk versus how they look upside and how retail look at risk and how they look at, 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 at downside. So um, that's a massive, that's a massive difference. Why? Because uh, the risks that investors and institutional investors look at, um, it's, it's, it's basically the only thing that they primarily care while retailers um jump every single on every single use case and and this you know the more uh, extreme re retailers and the more speculators i would say let me use a very strong word they abuse of some uh, use cases that crypto uh, and the builders have created for the for the common goods and and bring it to the extreme at that moment um the the, the institutional investors uh, you know uh, realize the risk and that's where they they just focus on. I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, in 2017, when you know 20, 30, maybe 50 million uh, were were uh, raised in 30 seconds or one minute for for an ICO. Everybody focused on how crazy is that? Where the money is gonna go? This is insane. This is like a scam. But very few realized that the capital coordination reached by that event never happened in the human history. It's impossible to send 50 million uh, of, of any currency in US dollars in one place in one second before crypto, before blockchain, like didn't exist. So I think the misconception is really coming from um, retailers and speculators really abusing of some use cases. And we have seen so many from, from ICOs, from DeFi, from NFT, any of those that will bring users, they are bringing users, but also bringing speculation. Um, and, and the investors that are, the institutional investors that obviously are extremely cautious about risk. The way we look at it, um, it's obviously on a very risk adjusted perspective in a sense that um, there is a, 
really extensive uh, process of due diligence, but starts with a very strong uh, thesis, right? Very strong vision, very strong um, identification of, of where the space needs to go, what are the teams that are building in the direction and what the product that might be needed and what's the demand for that product. When you basically have this uh, perfect alignment, right? Star alignments with uh, right vision, right team, right product. Then um, the, 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 taking a sort of a bet from a venture capital point of view, it makes sense, right? And and the upside is so uh, gigantic in a sense, if things go well, which, uh, you know, in a portfolio perspective it makes sense to 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 run those risks so this is the conversation we have with with lps they do understand uh, the nature of of returns on 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 venture capital the nature of the risks um but i would say for us and i speak like uh, uh you know for, for from from the risk management that we applied as a as a team at lemnus cup the sharp focus on early stage uh, seed and proceed mostly throughout the cycles and throughout the years has been the key because you know we could have taken so many tangents right so many extra risks so many um you know uh, things that could have could have brought us really in a in a different position from where we are right now so i think the diligence to stick to the plan from an investment point of view is very important yeah thank you that's great um the um the thing that I often uh, try to do when when explaining crypto to people and you know when explaining people to to non non crypto native folks is like trying to bring it back to uh, you know the, the the dawn of the internet and I you know one one of the instances that I remember you know as like a teenager like using the internet in like the late nineties and early two thousands was the uh, the invention of the blog right and like you know. I think many of you are old enough to remember when, like when blogs started, it was like a very niche thing. It was, you know, like sort of geeks writing about geeky topics like movies or or traveling or uh, or like specific TV shows or like, you know, any, any sort of niche interest. And, you know, there were a lot of people like I don't have the exact numbers, but like, I mean, I'd love to find these numbers, but there there were lots of people. I mean, some so of people writing blogs and certainly, you know, hundreds of thousands perhaps millions of people reading blogs it was still a niche thing though it, like millions of people were interacting with this new way of communicating but it still remained a niche thing and so when i hear people say like crypto doesn't have any real adoption and i look at you know things like nfts in the in the last uh bull cycle that brought in like hundreds of millions of people potentially uh to to buy nfts and to be interested in crypto i see that as a use case i think that you know, similarly to a lot of the sentiment, perhaps around new forms of communication and like things like blogs and new forms of expression in the early 2000s, where, you know, you know, the, the quote unquote, you know, like boomers of the time, right? Like the, 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 the previous generation sort of saw that perhaps as, um, as something that didn't have a lot of value or wasn't interesting, but, to, you know, fundamentally changed the way, you know, people and companies communicate to the point where now, you know, a blog or like, some, you know, so like this sort of, form of writing, you know, has sort of you know, even become a little bit, you know, passe uh, now that we use Twitter and we we, we communicate in more short form ways uh, in written format. Um, similarly to, to, to the way that those things were, were seen as 
as of not having any value. I think like I think there's a, there's a similar uh, sentiment towards things like NFTs, things like like uh, like cryptocurrencies and DeFi and things of that nature. Is, is that is that an analogy that resonates with you? And and if so, what are uh, what are the the applications the 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 applications coming that may bring in you know the next big wave of people? I think you know looking back to the early days of the web, you know Facebook certainly was one of those catalysts that brought in you know hundreds of me- millions of people into um onto the internet you know youtube in, in 2005 2006 around those times you know what are the the next waves of applications that in the next cycle uh will bring in even more folks onto the uh onto crypto and blockchain i don't know who wants to take that first i can i can start well uh, definitely yeah, def- definitely. I mean, so many of use cases have stayed, right? Like DeFi is still there. Uh, we need to find a way to make it more functional and less speculative. Obviously, uh, NFT, metaverses, gaming, uh, all of all of those are are still there. I think um, all of those tooling that we have actually Lemnus Cup heavily involved, uh, heavily invested on. Um, they're gonna they're gonna bring their fruits, right? They're gonna they're gonna sh- they're gonna show uh, their value in a sense. And although you know the centralized application, the, the the creator economy, what we like to call the creator economy, um, it will really come to fruition. I think reputation is something that has been tackled. Uh, coordination is some is something that has been tackled and is gonna be improving for sure. Uh, A social presence, like um, a ton of of what we do socially online right now would be on a a decentralized fashion. I'm pretty pretty sure about that. And I believe that, um, and then I'll post to to the next panelist, we are seeing a massive uh, transition between web two to web three of of knowledge, of know-how, of uh, A-B testing, of talents, right? And this is massive because these people I've done five, 10 years at Google, right? And, and, and Facebooks and, and the Amazons, those people know how to work. They know how to coordinate themselves in a sense, right? And see uh, what, what what's happening with Aptos and Sui, right? Coming from, 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 the, from the Facebook team. So um, I think now... It's it's really the time where talents have realized that the new uh, decades, that the, the the new work is uh, you know for protocols, for decentralized entities, for DAOs, for for crypto networks in a sense, and they will come and they are coming big time and they're bringing all those uh, skill sets basically. So I think yes, yeah, social presence, reputation, coordination, and all that tooling that's been built will, will is going to be used because it's built by great engineers. I, I I completely agree, and I think it's all about user experience. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I remember in 1997 when I was connected to the internet and started building my first website. User experience was really bad, and like it was uh, awful. I was even coding directly on a server, and and actually, what's going to happen? is that everything that was built for Web2 by people that, by very structured and knowledgeable people is coming actually to Web3. And the user experience that we used to have in Web2 is coming to Web3. Now, um, what is the usage? What are we currently uh, disrupting? So Web1 was uh, consumption. You came onto the World Wide Web and you consume content. Web2 was about consuming, sharing, and connecting. 
I think Web3 is about ownership. And it's not a coincidence that I think the peak of the usage of blockchain and crypto and what I would call the stakeholder capitalism uh, uh, system is coming in a period of recession. Uh, let's not blind ourselves. 2023, it's going to be a year of recession. And um, what was said by Nicola is the cre creative economy, creator economy. A lot of people are actually wanting to, and since COVID, wanting to take their destiny between their hands. And a lot of people quit their jobs. But at the end of the day, they want to make money by doing what they love. And most of the people are actually creating value online. The problem is that most of the value that is being created is actually channeled by intermediaries. I think that's what's going to happen with, um, with Web3, uh, tokenization, DAOs, and all of those things. Once the user experience will be as easy as just connecting, doing a Facebook connect or something like that, is that you will have organization, organizations of decentralized people doing their job, making money out of their, jo their job, but at the same time, building equity value in tribes of creators. And I think that this will be one of the biggest source of innovation is how we can share the equity value that is being built uh, between all the people, all the stakeholders of an ecosystem of value. And I think that 2023, 2024 are going to be the years that we're going to witness that. Yeah, um, from, from my side, I think that, um, so the way that we think about it is that innovation tends to happen in application infrastructure cycles. Um, so originally there's some new infrastructure that comes out. This leads to a lot of new applications, some of which find product market fit. And then for these applications that have product market fit, they suddenly start wanting more specialized infrastructure to enable better performance. Um, one example of this would be the database industry where you started off with general purpose um, kind of broad solutions like Oracle, which is created a long time ago. And then web one, web two, everyone started using Oracle and similar types of databases. And there are some applications that are able to find product market fit. And now there's more specialized infrastructure that is getting created. So um, for example, now you have solutions like Databricks Warehouse, which is a tool that is custom made for AI and ML. And I think in crypto, it's going to be very similar, right? So you started off with Ethereum, which was extremely general purpose. Um, this led to an explosion of a lot of new types of applications. We've seen all the exchanges, we've seen all the NFTs, we've seen, and at this point, like all the other applications that um, Nicole and Rada mentioned as well. And I think that out of these, the ones that have true product market fit right now are exchanges and stable coins. A lot of the other types of applications, DeFi, a lot of the other types of applications that have come out entirely, I think their product market fit is a little bit more questionable. Um, but definitely for exchanges and stable coins, there is product market fit. So I think what's going to be happening over the next few years is, first of all, for these things that already have product market fit, there's going to start being more specialized infrastructure getting created for them. I mean, what we're doing at say is exactly building this infrastructure for these exchanges where stable coins are going to get traded for, among other things. So, I mean, I think that's like one wave of innovation that's going to happen. And then the other wave is going to be more experimentation around the actual, actual application layer, um, which I think the other panelists have gone into. So I think there's going to be a combination of both of those things happening in the next couple of years. Uh, I think that uh, in the the current news, uh, there is uh, one huge topic uh, that we that is already very important that 
but that will become even more important for users is uh, regulation uh, because regulation will be a tool to uh, for mass adoption and to help the general public uh, to 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 go to the uh, actors that will warrant them uh, investor protection and uh, other uh, um, protections such as uh, against financial crime, against uh, market abuse. And uh, till now, so there, there were uh, very diverse approaches in terms of uh, regulating crypto assets. And in France and in Europe, uh, we were really in advance about regulating crypto asset markets. But uh, with what happened, uh, I do hope that in the current years we will go to regulatory harmonization uh, on the international stage uh, because since we have this regulatory fragmentation, meaning that in Europe we'll have a, a framework uh, implemented in the two next years, whereas in other jurisdictions you have nothing or it will be implemented later, you still have loopholes that uh, that uh, where, where the users can be trapped and uh, can lose everything. And that would be very detrimental. And that, that is today quite detrimental to the world crypto, uh, which is suffering for a confidence and reputation crisis because of uh, uh, some actors, which are in minority, but some actors which will uh, make a lot of uh, uh, damage for the world ecosystem. So I think that in the coming years, users will be more and more uh, cautious about uh, which type of intermediaries uh, they will uh, subscribe their services to. And they will maybe have, maybe have a better look at the regulation that, uh, that will be around and the regulatory environment in which they will evolve. And that's something that uh, Unfortunately, uh, is uh, uh, will be uh, promoted because of those uh, recent bad news, but uh, that will uh, at the end uh, raise the uh, credibility and seriousness of the world ecosystem. But that will be achievable only if we have this regulatory harmonization and the supervision that will guarantee that we have a level playing field uh, in Europe and in the world. And and, and uh, it's only because we will have both regulation, supervision, and promotion of the credible and serious actors that we will be able to offer to the public the comfortable environment uh, to, to promote uh, mass adoption. Excellent. Um, uh, before we you know close up the, the panel here, we are going to do a QA. Um, and so if, if uh, anybody in the audience has any questions, uh, please use the Q&A module here in Zoom where you can ask your question and uh, yeah, we can we can let you come on stage and, and, and ask your question to the panelists. Um, so I think my, you know, my last question, we've covered, we've covered a lot is you know, a lot of topics here. We could you know, cover so many more topics, uh, but I think one of the things that I really wanted to find out was, you know, yeah, we've been through several uh, cycles. Uh, personally, this is my third uh third uh, uh bear market um you know i've i've seen the the cycles i've seen this 
um, uh, this this uh, lockstep infrastructure application uh, building phase that you mentioned, Jay, and I think is 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 very accurate in terms of you know how technology evolves. Certainly, this was the case in the in the case of the internet and the, and the web, uh, and it, it also we also see this in, in crypto. Um, you know. Uh, we, we've seen regulation also come and become, uh, you know, a part of you know the, the 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 discussion and the narrative and you know the, the crypto broader crypto landscape. Uh, how will this bear market? How is this bear market that we're entering into? How is it different from previous bear markets? Uh, from you know the uh, 2016 2017 uh, bear market from you know, if you're if you're uh, OG enough to remember, you know the the 2014 bear market. Uh, how is this bear market different? And uh, yeah, what what are, what are your hopes for as we come out the other side uh, into uh, into this next cycle? I can start. Because, Please, um, just for the the chronological order. Um, well, I I was around marginally on the very first one <clears throat> i realized that nobody cared i wanted to build up a, a option exchange for for bitcoin uh and and really nobody nobody cared at the time it was january 2014 um i can i can clearly say th between this one and the one of uh, 2018 2019 well we had very large investment firm doing uh, 250k on a deal if the deal was done and now we have firms uh, we have projects raising 50 million and it's uh, it's oversubscribed and and it's on a, on a bear market right and it's hard to get in so this is this is a enormous difference for sure like the capital available and and the i would say the 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 security that if you are building something that the market needs you're going to get funded it's it's not like uh, it's it's not really like 2018 2019 that a lot of people were wondering if you know if that, that was a a silver lining now there is for sure it's just a cycle i think the major difference is that this time we know it's a cycle has been playing before and there's no doubt about that so there is the security of 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 you know it's going to it's going to end at some point absolutely the capital and um i think over and over two things how the use cases are are multiplying themselves like we we hope that DeFi would become a thing it did become a thing we hope that nft uh would become a thing it did become a thing we hope that dao would become a thing it did become a thing then of course there's the, the, the cycle of those but those are actually playing out those theses are playing out and the and the last thing um uh for for my closing remark is that we are seeing over and over and over, which is a good news, I think, that the reasons why we come to bear markets is because of leverage. The leverage that that projects were on ETH on 2017, because that was their, their treasury. The, the the leverage of Luna, the leverage of of, of all the centralized entity that blown up. So it's over and over a matter of uh, of leverage and and i think this is the uh, you know this is the major major difference and the major catalyst like the insurance the insurance that uh, the space is going forward um uh, i completely agree uh, nicola uh, like i'm i'm an anti leverage i hate leverage 
because I like to sleep at night. Um, but uh, I think that still people will continue to do leverage, unfortunately, because people are gamblers. Um, I think that's what's going to change in this bear market is that I think we've moved from the protocol narrative to the application value narrative. And this is where most of the value is going to be created. And the application value narrative is possible if and only if the user experience get to a point where we can get to the mass markets and not just the 5% uh, community of geeks uh, that uh, sometimes don't care about money, but just are playing with tech. And I think that's when we get to the point where user experience uh, provides this mass mar market adoption, We'll get more of real life value businesses providing value into crypto and will will the value is will not be about leverage but about future gains provided by technology in real life businesses and i think that this will be the new narrative i'm not sure if it's going to arrive in 2023 or 2024 but i'm quite sure that this is going to be the next big thing Yeah, I think one of the bigger differences right now versus previous cycles is that there still seems to be a healthy amount of both optimism and also people that are like actively building and not being discouraged. Um, I mean, the cynic in me also kind of believes that that's because we haven't actually gotten to the worst part of the bear market yet. Like right now, it's still um, we're still in the early stages, of it, which is why there's still a lot of teams that are relatively well funded. There's a lot of teams that haven't given up on what they're trying to build. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it just feels like the biggest difference is that after going through what we've gone through in the past few years, like people generally have the belief that crypto is here for the longer term. Whereas I think in previous cycles, it was a lot more existential. Um, so, I mean, coming into the cycle, it does seem like there are a lot more builders. There's a lot more money on the table as well. And assuming things don't become significantly worse, like there's a lot more optimism as well. If I may finish in a few words, I think what's very different is the institutional landscape. So the the people that are in the markets uh, actually more and more institutionals entered the market. That was not uh, the the case a few years uh, uh, before because also the regulatory environment evolved and is uh, uh, becoming more and more clear and more and more complete. Uh, and uh, I think uh, finally you can see companies, uh, even if the crypto industry is based on the, the large population of small projects, you have now companies that can testify that they could survive <laughs> in the, the past few years and that they are still there, uh, even if uh, they suffer from some, uh, some different cycles. So that's uh, also something... Uh, to to make uh, to make the vision quite uh, positive, uh, so that that was in few words what I could add to to what uh, has been said and that I agree with. Another really last point because I think your pan your 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 attendees and and the audience will be interested. It's something we discuss quite a bit internally with the LPs. One thing that has changed and will change in my view is correlation for the uh, general crypto crypto assets compared to the uh, other asset classes. Why? Because if we um, 
want mass adoptions and if you want institutional investors uh, you know coming into the space you know we can't have the cake and 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 did it too so crypto bitcoin uh, in general the, the the large assets will be considered for a long time uh realistically speaking uh, a risk asset right and will behave according to to that um, liquidity supply and demand i would say which we have seen in the market and it's quite uh it's quite increasing what is interesting though and we have rams and data and uh, and i'm talking uh because of that uh, investing in in early stage and and the, the job of a venture capitalist in a sense uh decreased dramatically this correlation to the assets in general so uh, this is very interesting. While you see correlation of, of the major crypto assets um, increasing with, with, with other asset classes, you see that uh, the, the, the venture capital industries, which you know, uh, Sebastian and I are, uh, obviously, it's, it's quite uncorrelated because of the uh, you know, uncertainty on when those companies come to market. So that's quite interesting for, for the LPs. Yeah, certainly. Um, thank you, everyone, for your very thoughtful uh, answers on all of these topics. I want to open up the questions now. If anybody has any questions, please raise your hand. You'll find the raise hand button down at the bottom of your screen, and I'll uh, bring you up on stage so you can ask your question. If you prefer not to ask questions um, live on the on the live stream, you can also add them in the Q and A and i'll uh, ask the question for you so yeah if anybody has any questions now's the time we've got four expert panelists here uh ready for you so clement come on why don't you come on stage and and uh and ask the question instead of in the chat <laughs> Maybe I can answer, uh, give a first answer. Well, that's uh, yeah. So, course. so, so the question. So, just uh, the question is, I don't, maybe he can't turn on his camera right now. But the question is, you know, how has the con the regulatory conversation changed? And I think, you know, specifically, that means that in the in the in light of you know recent events and the events of this year, um, are are regulators still thinking sanely uh, about crypto, or are they? You know, re leveraging recent events to gain a stronger foothold, um, I guess, presumably to uh, uh, to restrict uh, access to crypto, to restrict application development and things of that nature. Sorry, go ahead, Fustine. So I think uh, that uh, it's not an easy question because uh, we can uh, recognize that on some points, uh, regulators and EU institutions uh, did think uh, sanely and uh, if I'm coming back to Mika debates we uh, can uh, be really happy of the uh, at the end with uh, how DeFi NFTs and the environmental questions uh, uh, were tackled uh, because uh, it was a, a very pragmatic approach that was adopted uh, so both DeFi and NFTs were finally um, uh, not in the scope of Mika, uh, based on the fact that the institutions understood that it was not the right vehicle and that it was too early to to regulate those innovations. 
So that was a, a really positive. Uh, what a relief. Uh, yeah. And uh, regarding the environmental questions, uh, I think you remember that there were some bad and very bad ideas uh, on uh, how could be addressed uh, the proof of work question and uh, what we call the ban of proof of work. And at the end, uh, the EU institutions uh, had a, a, a very pragmatic approach uh, asking, and that's a very logical and uh, uh, very uh, very normal that they ask issuers and uh, service providers uh, about uh, information uh, about the environmental uh, footprint of the protocols that they use to issue or to uh, provide their services. So something that actually quite aligned with the general strategy regarding the fight against the climate change. So we we can uh, and it was two thousand and twenty two. So that's why I wanted to point those uh, those quite. Uh, uh, pragmatic approaches that uh, that we had, so it, it was quite sane, as you say. But at the same time, of course, uh, they they observed what happened with the Terra Luna case, the FTA case, uh, more recently. Uh, so uh, um, regarding the Terra Luna case, it happened at a time where EU debates were still open on Mika. So it actually uh, uh, make what was quite bad <laughs> even worse on the stablecoin regime. That's that has always um, always been a very sensitive topic. And so at the end, we have uh, something very strict regarding stable coins. And uh, uh, I think it's obvious that behind those debates, uh, there was really a wish to prevent from the uh, emergence of uh, euro stable coins and the wish to push for the ECB project of uh, digital euro. So on this topic, it's, uh, it was quite hard at the beginning and it became even harder to discuss based on the what happened on Terra Luna. Uh, regarding FTX, it's a bit uh, different because at the EU level, so the discussions on Mika are, are actually finished. So we have the uh, current, uh, it's currently being adopted. So Mika should not be reopened because of the FTX uh, uh, failure. But what we see, and that's, uh, I think, uh, uh, very negative is that uh, we have some national initiatives and uh, I, I'm more uh, aware of what's uh, being discussed in France, but national initiatives uh, that to reinforce regulation that could uh, strengthen the regulatory um, uh, fragmentation and that could actually be very counterproductive regarding the competitiveness of our companies. Uh, but also because those are not the this is not the right uh, solution uh, if we want to answer what uh, happened on the uh, what happened to FTX. So it, it, it's a, not an easy question because uh, sometimes you can be really optimistic uh, regarding how regulators tackle regulatory issues on the crypto asset, but uh, at the same time, you depending on the topic, it can be. Uh, to the contrary, really, really difficult uh, to to achieve uh, uh, pragmatic solutions. Thank you. Um, we have two folks asking questions here. I'm going to start with Amar. Uh, Amar, I'm giving you the chance to speak. Uh, go ahead. Just have to unmute yourself. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I wanted to expand on uh, the point about, you know, how we need to move from protocol narrative to application use case narratives. And uh, I think to maybe follow on on something that Jay said. So 
uh, two of the things where we have found some product market fit are exchanges and stable coins. Um, so I think the lady talked about stable coins a little bit right now. Um, we'd love to get the panel's thoughts on exchanges. So, you know, obviously with centralized exchanges, we've had erosion of trust. And I agree that, you know, a lot of it is because of, you know, some bad actors and it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad about the technology. But let's just say, you know, there's three potential scenarios how this pans out and I'd, I'd be interested to see where the panel flustered. So one is that in the interim, you kind of have these hybrid solutions where you have custodians coming up with, you know, these exchange networks where you don't actually have too many assets sitting on exchange in hot wallets at any time. And you kind of have these synthetic ledgers. Um, or secondly, you kind of, you have more DeFi where you're relying on the code and not on these centralized uh, parties. And thirdly, you know, a scenario where just real money from the institutions uh, refuses to really play until a lot of these broker dealers are actually regulated. Um, so how, how do you guys see that panning out? I think in the near term, like there's already more of a shift towards greater and greater amounts of trading activity and trading volume happening on DeFi. Um, I think realistically centralized exchanges are still going to be the de facto way the trading is going to happen in the near term. Um, at least until the user experience becomes a lot better with doing anything in a decentralized fashion. Like right now, the decentralized trading experience is just really, really difficult compared to the centralized ex experience. So I do think like near term, it's going to be centralized players that are having a majority of the volume. Then longer term, I do think the merits of doing things in a decentralized fashion outweigh the downsides of, are like substantially greater than like um, the benefits of doing things in a centralized fashion. So I think long term, once the rails have been set up, then there'll be more uh, DeFi activity happening there. And I mean, that's exactly why we're building it to help make that user experience a lot better. Um, around the institutional piece, I think institutions tend to come after retail is already there. So they're probably going to be the last movers to be entering the space. And even right now, I mean, there have been a lot more institutional players that have been entering and starting to do things on chain, but a majority of institutions still are not. Um, so I think that'll be more of a long-term thing that'll probably happen, um, I would say a few years down the line where like, a lot more institutions are participating. Thanks, Jay. Um, there is one more question. Uh, Reda, I think you, are, are you still good to stay for a few minutes or do you have to sign off? Yeah, I can stay for a few minutes. Okay. So we'll, we'll do one more question here. I think there's one more question and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, Nathaniel, uh, you had a question. Yes. Can you hear me guys? Yes. Hi. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, I came a bit late, so I'm sorry if the topic was already uh, addressed. Uh, but I had a question regarding the like the next crypto winter we're seeing. Uh, I'm thinking this would be pretty different from all the ones we knew before. Uh, first, because of the critical size that the like um, the crypto uh, got, and as well as the modern under community as well as on the adoption of the technology, but also because of the entering of new actors, especially big Web2 actors that want to uh, get involved in Web3, want to use it in a way or another, whether it's to Web2.5 or pure Web3. And I'm wondering if um, what, what's your vision on this crypto winter we're going to see, but with new actors such as these tech giants or big brands in Web3, Web2. I, I think, I think that... Uh... We will see the same way uh, we saw uh, uh, companies like uh, IBM, Microsoft uh, at uh, for during uh, Web two trying to do stuff 
uh, like startup does. I think we'll see the same thing with those big companies trying to get into Web3. The problem is that it's, it's about DNA. Um, building what's, what people are waiting for in the decentralized environment, actually, it needs some kind of philosophy. And uh, like the same thing I said in a previous conference I went to, um, there was a company talking about fundraising and hard to fundraise in token and doing mixed fundraise with equity in token. I, I'm completely against that. Like uh, usually I, I see when I see a company raising with tokens and having equity, um, the, I see misalignments of interest and I see danger in the future. Um, at the end of the day, I think that it's, it's, we're, we're going to see big companies trying to do things in Web3, but it's going to be powered by uh, 100% uh, Web3 organizations. And uh, um, what I said about fundraising was just an example, but I think it's about philosophy of, of Web3 and, and how things are going to be executed. But at the end of the day, builders are still here. And uh, like uh, Nicolas said, uh, I, we still see great teams being funded and we're going to see great projects and great innovations uh, coming together in 2023, 2024 um to 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 bring the next potentially bull market maybe in 2025 okay thanks a lot but so you you're saying that you don't see any web 2 actors uh as a, a catalyst or uh, allowing maybe to go reach the next billion users because as of today they have the like the best ux the best ui uh so far the most uh they are the most advanced with the most uh, uh amount of users so you don't think that they can be eventually a help uh within the uh the development of, of web3 i think i think they help for adoption but i don't think they will be the vessels of the future okay so you see them as, as simple enablers or just a, a highway to go faster but in the end it's only web3 builders that get to, uh, okay thanks when when i see for example let's say okay let's talk about nfts Let's talk about bullshit NFTs. Let's talk about uh, the the rock that NFT that people buy bought for half a million dollars. When Instagram announced that now you can put your NFTs uh, on Instagram when on Instagram from like Polygon and Ethereum, people don't care anymore about NFTs about like PFPs. It's bullshit. The real value of NFTs is utility NFT. And at the end of the day, I'm not displaying my utility NFT on Instagram. But at the end of the day, what's interesting is that the fact that they were interested into bringing NFTs on Instagram was a catalyst for people getting more interest into Web3 and, and the whole technology, underlying technology. So it's going to bring coverage, but I think they will always be late. But at the end of the day, it's people... Uh, like uh, Jay, uh, Nicola, and uh, all the builders in the Web3 that's going to build the future of uh, 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 this ecosystem. Okay, thanks a lot. That's very clear. Does anybody else on the panel want to react to that question? Uh... Okay, I think um, I think that's all we have for questions. Um, thank you, everybody, for well, thanks thanks to everybody for tuning in, uh, for coming into the webinar and ask and participating, and also asking questions. And thank you so much uh, to all of you panelists. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze here. 
uh, Jay, Faustine, Reda, and uh, Nicolas, thanks so much for taking part in this conversation. Uh, this is, you know, the first time you know that here on on the Interop uh, we've done this this kind of round table um it was an interesting experiment for us to uh, test this format uh with an audience that can you know ask questions and sort of interact so uh it was great thank you so much and thanks for your thoughtful answers and for you know advancing the conversation and sort of opening everyone's mind as to you know what are the fundamentals and sort of reminding everyone about what are the true fundamentals and why we're here and why we're still building uh, but also what's to look forward to over the next couple of years as crypto uh, becomes more, say, serious in terms of um, in terms of uh, having a regulatory framework, having more robust infrastructure, uh, having better user experience also, which is very interesting. You know, each of these topics we could do a dedicated panel on, I think. Uh, so certainly we'll try to do that again um, soon, perhaps next year, probably actually pretty, pretty soon next year, we'll do another panel. And um, yeah, I hope you guys uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for Bye-bye. having me. Bye-bye.